Welcome to the C3 Silicon Valley Church Podcast. Senior pastors Adam and Kira Smalcom are so excited to share this message with you and believe that God will speak to you through it. Here at C3SV, we know that God has the best in store for you today and every day. But we're going to get into the Word tonight, so I hope you brought your Bibles with you. I really want to share with you just a little bit of my story, because I know you don't know me too well. But I'm going to kind of intertwine my story with a story of, I believe, one of the greatest somewhat unsung heroes in the Bible. His name is Gideon. Probably not your typical women's conference, women's night kind of, you know, character. Typically, you'd think I should be talking about Mary and Hannah and all those kind of people. And they're awesome. But tonight belongs to Gideon, people. All right. We're going to read about this story because I believe that the story of Gideon really encapsulates the story of every single one of us. See, God comes to Gideon. He's hiding. He's in a wine press. He's in a pretty depressed, isolated state. Then God comes and he has a conversation with him and takes him from someone who's insecure and intimidated to become this incredible hero and have victory over the life that God had called him to have victory in. And I believe that's the God destiny for every single one of us. Do you know that? God did not make you to or create you to be a loser, but rather to be a winner. Do you know that you won the first race you were ever in, right? You know that. And I'm not going to get into the biology right now, but you know that you won the first race that you were ever in. You were born a winner. You were born a champion. And that doesn't shift no matter how many years you're on this earth, no matter how many mistakes you make. God has an awesome plan for your life. So are you there in Judges, the book of Judges, chapter 6? We're going to start reading... At verse 11. You ready? Yell out if you're ready. I like noisy. I already know you're noisy. You're like my church. Okay. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Oprah Winfrey's house, (laughs) apparently, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon, enter Gideon, threshed wheat in the winepress. What? Threshing wheat in a wine press. What are you doing, Gideon? In order, okay, to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valour. And Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Wow. God has a really huge self-esteem. He finds Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, typically in those days, wheat was not threshed in a wine press. Wine presses were places where you stomped grapes. But because Gideon was intimidated, because he was afraid, because his self-image had been so battered over time, he was finding himself doing working, which is a really good thing, in the right in the the right context, but in the wrong place. And oftentimes in life, you'll find that God will visit you when you're in that intimidated, confined, afraid, isolated and insecure place. And it's there that I believe that God presents to us three battles that every woman must fight. 
In order for you to have the victory, and we know that the story goes on, Gideon has the victory and he uh, defeats the enemy and, and his, his clan, his tribe are no longer oppressed by the Midianites. But in order for that victory to come to pass, Gideon first had to fight three private battles. And the three private battles that I fought and sometimes continue to fight, and I believe that you're going to see yourself in this story too. So what's the first battle that Gideon had to fight? I believe it's his secret issues. First battle that Gideon had to fight were his secret issues. Judges 6.13 says this. This is Gideon speaking. Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all these miracles which our fathers have told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I think I'm going to go eat worms. And you know what? We'll all find ourselves in this position in life. We'll find ourselves in a position where we have a sad story to tell. Do you know what you have in common with every other human on planet Earth? You've got pain and a sad story in your past. You know what? I think if you want to survive on planet Earth, if you're going to breathe oxygen on God's planet this side of eternity, you will have to get reconciled to the fact that occasionally you will walk through some painful, dark and issue-laden times. But God's intent was never for us to stay confined and restricted in that environment. The Bible says that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and rescues those who are wounded in spirit. So in other words, God has a solution for our issues, no matter what they may be. Now, oftentimes in church, we find that we go through things, things happen to us, we have experiences, we get offended, maybe divorce happens, maybe tragedy strikes, and we isolate ourselves, like Gideon isolated himself. And instead of walking out in the victory that God created us to have, we're in this confined place thinking we have a reason and an excuse to stay the way we are. But God loves you too much. He loves me too much and he loved Gideon too much to leave him in that place. And he says, Gideon, if you surrender those things to me, I can make things better than they've been. Do you know when I was a um, young youth pastor? Now, I've been in ministry for 21 years. I got married when I was 17. I called myself the fetal bride. So when other people were still playing with Barbie, doll, Barbie dolls, I was walking down the aisle. I got married. And not only that, I went straight into ministry. So I was born in Australia, got married at 17, moved to the nation of New Zealand to become a youth pastor. Now, I had stars in my eyes. I was so excited. I was raised in a home where I was loved and nurtured and encouraged and believed in and told I could do anything. And all of a sudden, I was thrust into ministry, a newlywed in a different nation. And boy, i got to tell you, literally the rug was pulled out from under me. I did not expect to experience what I experienced. I thought that in a church situation, everyone's going to be friends. Everyone's nice to everyone all the time. And when you have a bad day, there are a million people that'll just want to hover around you and pray for you. And you never have to watch your back because nobody's ever going to say anything negative about you. And you're never going to have to pull daggers out of your back. And you know, Nobody's ever going to hurt your feelings and every day is going to be awesome. And it didn't take me, I don't know, longer than maybe a minute to realise that really wasn't the case. And no matter how wonderful God's call is and how, it, and how awesome his church is, it's still full of humans. And on this side of eternity, humans will hurt you. 
And so I found myself as a 17-year-old thrust in this situation where things were not how I thought they'd be. And I was under a, a leader at that time who was very, very jealous, very insecure, very hurtful, squashing, squashed and oppressed the people that she was sent to nurture and release. And I found myself withering. I felt like I was Gideon, hiding out in that wine press. Now, I had a call. I had a destiny. I had prophecies spoken over my life about all the amazing things I was going to do. But I had literally got to the place where I checked out and I was like Taylor Swift. The ministry and I are never, ever, ever getting back together. And I may be married to a pastor, but that is his gig, his gig not mine. Because the church is full of people that hurt you. And I don't want to be hurt. So I'm going to hide out in my wine press, in my confined space, and I'm going to complain about the issues I have with God and his church because that will disqualify me from the victorious call that God has for my life. You know, it was a couple of years later. Now, I sat in that wine press for a really long time. Made me resent my husband, the call on our lives. Made me mean to people. In fact, I was about to turn into the woman who had actually been so mean to me. Isn't that always the way? We make those vows, I'll never be like them. And while you're making that vow, I'll never be like them. You're becoming like them. I was doing the same thing. And then one day just happened to be the day my husband was being ordained into the ministry. We were in the Assemblies of God movement at that time and it was like a six-year probation before you could be officially ordained into the ministry in the Assemblies of God Church. And so we were in another part of the country of New Zealand and I was wearing this beautiful white suit ready for my husband to be ordained, all the while really backslidden in my heart, angry with God, offended at the church, offended at people, not allowing God to heal my wounds, making a vow in my heart, ministry and I are never getting back together. My husband and I walk on stage as they uh, induct him into the Assemblies of God movement and he receives his qualifications as an ordained minister. We get our photos taken, we go sit down and then they decide to have a guest speaker that night at the ordination. Now, I mean, of course they do. Anyway, they've got a guest speaker from America. And now this American preacher had the audacity to come up and start to preach a salvation altar call at an ordination ceremony. I mean, did he miss the memo, really? People are getting ordained into the ministry. If they are not saved, there is a serious problem. But I believe, really, God sent him for me. Because he knew there was a little girl in that meeting whose heart was so wounded, whose spirit was so broken, who was so filled with issues that she was sitting in a confined place full of anger and resentment towards God and the church and her husband and he needed to rescue her from her wine press. And so as I sat in this building, as other people were looking around going, what is this guy doing? Why is he preaching a salvation altar call or having a salvation altar call preaching a salvation message at a pastoral ordination. What is wrong with him? He's really missed it. And the whole while I'm sitting there and the Holy Spirit is speaking to me. He's going, Leanne, this message is for you. I want you to respond. I'm like, I'm not responding. (laughs) I'm not. I'm not. I'm going to speak to my husband and I promise I will repent at home and I'll get him to pray for me at home. But God, that would just be embarrassing for everybody. And just remember, I am in a white suit, a blinding... You could see me from the moon, white suit. But just let me remind you that all that glittered was not gold. I was sitting there with a broken, issue-ridden spirit, totally 
absolutely backslidden from God and disconnected from the call. But God was speaking to me. Do you know that God will come to you even when you're in your issue-ridden, broken state? He will go to the ends of the earth to find you and deliver you. All he needs is a willing heart. At the end of the day, it's our response. And so he comes to me again and again as this man's preaching. This poor guy's probably thinking, I've missed it. I'm never going to be invited back. What was I thinking? I didn't hear from God. And then all of a sudden, I decide I'm going to be obedient to God as much as it is painful, as embarrassing as it is. And I flung my hand up. Oh, was he relieved. Thank you, Jesus. And then seriously, girls, I walk down the front and my legs felt like lead. I could barely move. And I was crying, not so much because my heart was moved, although it was, but I was crying because I was so mortifyingly embarrassed. And I remember treading what felt like the walk of shame to the front. And this guy was just so thrilled that somebody was responding to his message. So he's milking it for all he's worth. And I've got to say, I love you Americans and I am one of them. I have a green card, but you guys know how to work it, baby, work it. He's like, come on, baby, come to Jesus. A little lamb coming back to the flock. He's just like, I'm like, Shh, don't make it work. And my husband, and how many people here know my husband, the wonderful Pastor Jürgen? Okay, well, to know him is to love him, but he is like almost shameless. He never gets embarrassed except for this time. And I've got to say, this was the only time in my life that my husband was more embarrassed of me than I ever have been of him. And he's looking at me with eyes like, Leanne, come back. I was just on stage getting a plaque with my name on it. I'm ordained into the assemblies of God. It took them six years to give me this and now you're ruining it. I'll pray for you at home. I'm like, I already asked God and he said, no, I've got to go forward. So as I walked forward, I literally collapsed at the altar out of embarrassment. This preacher was thrilled beyond all measure. But you know what? It was at that altar that my life was incredibly changed. It was at that place where I let my pride go and I completely surrendered those issues. You know, I would become so bruised and broken. And, you know, we go through moments in life where we get bruised and broken. Like I said, it's what you'll have in common with the rest of the world. But the opportunity we have as believers and lovers of Jesus is to surrender that hurt to him and let him bring something beautiful in return. Do you know the Bible says that when we give him our ashes, when we give him those dead things in our lives, those things that hurt, those things that don't bring life but bring only death and only pain, when we surrender those things to him, the Bible says that he gives us beauty in return. Who would have thought that little broken girl in the glaringly white suit at that ordination, would be standing before you today, preaching a word and bringing healing and hope to you. How did it happen? Because I'm awesome? Because I'm gifted? No. Because I surrendered my hurt and my issues to my Heavenly Father, who cares more about us than we care about ourselves. So when the Holy Spirit comes knocking at your door and He finds you in that confined place, don't come back to Him with excuses, but surrender those issues and that brokenness to God. Can someone give me an amen tonight? Amen. So the first battle we all fight is the battle of our secret issues. Don't let issues keep you out of the call of God. God has not only things he wants to do in you, but through you. Do you know the generations are affected when you don't step up and deal with areas of brokenness? It doesn't just affect you. It affects those that you're called to impact and it affects the generations that come after you. The second battle that I believe Gideon had to fight and that we all have to fight is the battle of secret insecurities. 
In Judges 6, 15, it says this. Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. Can anybody relate? None of you, two of you. Well, let me kind of give you my story then because I can definitely relate. I'm one of five girls. All my sisters got scholarships to university. They graduated high school with honours. You know, they were standout academics and sports people in their fields. And then there was Leanne Gray. Married at 17, knocked up at 19, didn't graduate high school. You know, I, I know what it's like to feel like the least of the least in your father's household. And I spent too many of my years living with insecurity, thinking, God, how could you ever do anything good through me? I don't have a stellar education. I don't have any letters after my name. I haven't even been to college. I did not even graduate high school. How could you possibly use me? And for the longest time, the enemy used that. He used the fact that I didn't feel like I was educated enough, that I, didn't, I was continually comparing myself to my sisters. He used that as a way to keep me in a wine press. Well, you'll never do anything great. You'll never accomplish anything really in your life, Leanne, because, you know, you don't have all the qualifications that other people have. And I've got to tell you girls, that had really plagued me for a, for a long time. Do you know why we need to deal with our secret insecurities? Because if we don't deal with our insecurities, our insecurities will deal with us. I've got to tell you, after being a pastor for 21 years, the most dangerous person in the world is not the aggressive person, is not the person running around, the crazy person with the knife. Oh, they can be taken down easy. It's the person who's not dealt with their insecurities. Because it's the insecure person that squashes other people around them. Because they don't have the courage to do what they're called to do. Greatness is, in anyone else is something seen to be extinguished. And we see that in the relationship of David and Saul, don't we? David was fearful, uh, sorry, Saul was fearful. The Bible tells us that. He was faced with a Goliath. And we know, if we know the story of Saul and David, that Saul really was the likely person to be able to take down this giant. Bible says that Saul was head and shoulders above every other man in Israel. And yet when Goliath came a knocking, it wasn't Saul who answered the call. It was little skinny David with his slingshot. Has nothing to do with ability. Has to do with spirit. Has to do with the courage and your, the, the desire on the inside of you to do what God has called you to do. But we see in that picture that all of a sudden Saul looks at David who has the courage and the bravery to be obedient and trust in God and looks at him not as a hero, not as an answer to a problem that was solved by David, but rather as a threat. Insecure people, they see everybody else as a threat. And that's why I say to you today, do not let insecurity get a hold of you. Do not let it get a hold of your heart. We see that the world compares us, right? The world compared me and my sisters. I turned up at high school and I think I was in a class like for math. It was like the lowest grade. In Australia, they grade you. So, you know, one is the highest and then seven is, um, okay, you really should be not doing math at all. So we're just going to get you to tidy up the classroom instead in the 30 minutes allotted we have for this class. And so I was in class number seven. And yeah, math's not my forte. My son is in fifth grade and he's doing fifth grade math. I kind of had to check out by first grade. You know that show? 
Are you smarter than a, is it fifth grader or fourth grader? Yeah, right. No, I'm not. So simple answer to that question. Um, but anyway, the, the teachers would say, they'd say things like, are you sure you're a grey girl? Are you sure you're a grey girl? Oh, no, you've got to be adopted. Your sisters were all so smart. And look at you, you little dummid. And I'm like, I know, thank God, I'm pretty. <laughs> at least I got something going on. But I had to, at a young age, deal with and learn to live in a world that likes to compare. And you know how the world says, don't compare one another and don't compare yourselves to other people. It's like, yes, we shouldn't. But the world does that all the time. So we have to learn to live in and exist in a world that will continually compare you. And this is something that we find in the, in the story of David and Saul that really rattled Saul. So David has a victory. He takes down Goliath. And then all of a sudden, all the hot women, all the maidservants are singing, well, Saul has slain his thousands, but David, his tens of thousands. In other words, we're going to compare the two of you. And that was too much for Saul to handle. And as a result, he picked up spears and he lopped them at the head of David. So true for us if we do not learn to deal with our insecurities. I'm telling you right now, if you want to be isolated, stuck in a wine press, alone, and never really fulfill what God's called you to fill, then hang on to those insecurities. Or you can surrender them to God and rather just be happy with the person he made you to be and be content to run in your own lane. I had the privilege of meeting Joel Osteen and it was awesome. He's a fabulous guy, um, even better than you would uh, imagine, like just nicest pie, sweetest guy in the world. And when my husband and I met him for the first time, my husband, he's a bit of a jokester and he likes to be remembered. So he shook Pastor Joel's hand and said, hi, Pastor Joel, my name's Jürgen. This is my wife, Leanne. She's a farm girl and I'm getting a vasectomy tomorrow. I'm like, um, okay. <laughs> Interesting introduction. But you know what? He remembered us. I'm not sure for better or for worse, but he did remember us. But anyway, in the course of the conversation, yes, he hung around. We were just kind of asking him some questions and about his life and the, the different things that he'd faced in ministry. And he made this really, really interesting comment. He said, you know what, people are always saying to me, you know, Joel, you, you don't preach deep and, you know, you're preaching shallow and making all these kinds of insults. And he goes, but I never let it touch me because I know what lane I'm called to run in. And I thought, what an interesting comment. If every single one of us could grab a hold of that and not let insecurity or com- competition grab a hold of our heart, but rather just run in the lane that God has called us to run in. When I came to America, my husband and I, similar to Pastor Kira and Adam, moved over from Australia to start our church in San Diego. And uh, we stayed in a hotel for a couple of weeks before we got our rental, rental home and it was awesome. This was before my daughter was born. It was my three sons and I and we were spending time. It was summer in the pool, jumping in and out and just having the best time. And it was my first real up-close encounter with an American woman. And um, i got to tell you, it was like it was uh, one of those documentaries. Is it David Attenborough? Have you seen the David Attenborough documentaries? This is a kiwi bird. See how it walks down the pathway and looks over its eggs as it's waiting for them to hatch. Okay, so I had the same experience, but this is an American. See how she struts by the pool in her string bikini with her pedicure and her manicure and so much bling she could be confused for Mr. T. 
Yeah, I mean, she was the whole night. It was like legally blonde by the poolside. I mean, she was walking around snapping and bending and snapping and (laughs) popping and the whole thing. And I was there with my boys with wet hair, can I add? Okay, so in Southern California, not sure if it's the same here in Silicon Valley, but in Southern California, one of the Ten Commandments is thou thou shalt not get thine hair wet by the pool. (laughs) So I was breaking all of them. Not only did I not have a mani-pedi, and I was wearing a one-piece, which is also a cardinal sin, I had wet hair. And so I meet this American woman for the first time, and i got to tell you, immediately she set off my insecurity radar. I was like, no, God, it's one thing to send me to a nation full of really smart people. You know how I feel about really smart people. (laughs) I thought I was leaving my Australian sisters to escape that and I found it here. But not only that, they are stinking beautiful. (laughs) And she's standing there in her string bikini with her spray tan, with her heels by the pool, wet hair, oh, not in a million years, big old fake boobs. It was incredibly (laughs) intimidating. I have never wanted to push another person in the pool so much (laughs) in my whole life. As I did that woman, she was pressing all my buttons. And I remember being so angry with God, walking up back up to the hotel room. God, why did you send me here? Why would you send me here to embarrass me and humiliate me? Don't you know I'm the least of the least? What can I possibly offer these women? They're perfect. They're smart. They're beautiful. What can I bring? You know what? It's amazing. Even in our ridiculous, selfish, tantrum, foot-stomping state, God still finds us in our wine press. And he comes to me and he says, Leanne, I didn't bring you to San Diego to give San Diego more of what they've already got. I brought you to San Diego because you've got something that they need. You know, and I don't say that out of pride. And you know, the same is true for you. There is something that only you can bring. There is something unique about you that God has designed only you to bring to this earth. And if we spend all our time looking to our left and right, wondering if we're competing, comparing with the person next to us, we miss out on the very important race that Paul says is set before us. Run your race. When you learn to get content with the way God made you and what he's called you to do, the people alongside you cease to be competitors and they start to be companions. It's an incredible liberation. They're no longer opponents, but they're people that are journeying with you. And instead of absolutely being jealous and insecure about what they bring to the table, you can rejoice in their strengths because you know you have strengths of your very own. I would say to you today, under the Spirit of the Lord, isolate insecurity before it isolates you. Kill insecurity before it kills you. Get rid of insecurity, put a knife in its back, and you will find that this is the one zombie that will never die. Out of all these, these different things, these secret battles that I'm going to bring forward tonight, this is the one that will keep like a big, bad B-grade movie raising its head. You'll think this thing is dead and all of a sudden it's going to stand up again in the living room while you're giving your boyfriend a hug, okay? It's that one. He comes back with the chainsaw. You need to get out the gun and shoot him again. Because this is the one thing, particularly with women, we will face forever. Because like I said, we're in a world that will continually compare us. We'll continually hold up other images beside us and say, why do you not conform to that? But God is saying, rather, just don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and just be conformed and predestined to be in my image. Can I get a big amen tonight? We're not going to let insecurities hold us back. And lastly... 
the last battle that Gideon fought before he became the mighty victor that God called him to be is going to be found in Judges 6, 25. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Gideon, take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the wooden image that is beside it. So the conversation that the angel, that the Lord is having with Gideon here and the conversation that I believe that God has with every single one of us, when we deal with our secret issues, when we deal with our secret insecurities, he says, okay, right now is the time for you to deal with your secret idols. But when you read this passage of Scripture, the angel comes to Gideon and says, I want you to pull down the idols that are in your father's house. Interesting. They're not even Gideon's idols. These idols are ones that he's inherited. Now he might be able to say, well, God, these aren't my idols. This isn't my problem. I didn't make this happen. This is something I, 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 I never erected this. This was not built up by my hands. But nonetheless, the angel of the Lord was coming to Gideon and saying, hey, maybe it wasn't fair that this was dumped at your doorstep. Maybe it wasn't fair, daughter, that this issue of abuse and divorce and that anger problem, oh, and maybe that deception problem or that anxiety or fear or depression was dumped at your doorstep. Maybe it wasn't fair. Maybe it was in your mother before you, your grandmother before her. But nevertheless, it's now landed at your doorstep. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're going to say, well, God, it's not my fault. It's not my problem. The world has told me this is hereditary. It's part of my DNA passed down from my mother. Or are you actually going to do something about it and tear down the idols in your father's house? Oh, it's going to take some courage because one of the biggest things that will stop you from being the victorious woman that God has called you to be, and there's no doubt around that because God has called you to be victorious in life. One of the big things that will stop you from being that victorious woman is if you, woman, if you don't have the courage to tear down the idols in your father's house. Do you know there were so many things that I looked at as I stared down the corridors of time and I looked at my family and I could say, well, that's not fair that that's been handed to me. That's their sin, not mine. How come it's at my doorstep? But yes, nevertheless, now it is at my doorstep. But then I started to look at myself. And I started to look at the things that I had began to bow my knee to. And really, the, an idol is just something you bow your knee to over Christ. One of the first commandments is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And God is saying to us today, if you want to have victory in life, if you want to be victorious in your marriage, in your relationships, in your career, in your mental health, in your physical health, then you've got to stop bowing your knee to some idols. What idols do we need to tear down? For me, it was an idol of rejection. You know, I was perfectly happy when I was around people who I was comfortable with. When I was around my family, I was a laugh minute. I was the class clown. But you know, get me in an environment where I'm uncomfortable and I saw everybody as someone who was just waiting to reject me. Walk into a room like this. I'd come in late. I'd leave early. Sometimes I'd sit in, a, in the car 
And the whole while, this idol that I would bow my knee to was telling me, Leanne, nobody's going to want to talk to you. Nobody's going to be interested in what you have to say. Nobody's going to invite you into their group. Nobody's going to want to be your friend. You know, this would happen time and time and time again. Until it dawned on me one day, nobody really could ever be rejected this much. Maybe the, it's not the people around me. Maybe it's not that I'm walking to a, into a room and everybody is just horrible and mean and rejects me. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's something I'm carrying. And sure, maybe in the spirit people are high-fiving it. They're, I'm walking into a room and they're, they're picking up something on me and they're running with it. But you know what? I carried that spirit in the room long before it was in there already. And I had to look back and instead of blaming the environment around me and even instead of blaming, well, it was on my dad, it was on my mom, it's been in my sisters and it was in their grandparents, our grandparents before that, I now had to take responsibility for the idol that was now knocking at my door. Now, I don't know what your idol looks like. Maybe it's a spirit of fear. Maybe the anxiety and the fear that was in your mother or your father or your grandparent has now residing in your house and you bow your knee. So when you hear that negative report, the first thing you go to is fear, anxiety. It's probably cancer. They're going to die. And what comes out of you is not faith, but what comes out of you is doubt and fear. You know what that is? That's an idol. And God's saying to you today, bring that down because I haven't called you to have a spirit of fear. I have not given you a spirit of fear. I have given you a spirit of love, power and a sound mind. That spirit of fear, that's not from me. That's from the devil. And whilst ever you continue to bow your knee to that thing, you know what? You're going to be dancing to the beat of its drum. But today I want you to bring that idol down. I want you to tear it down because the victory and the destiny I have for you is far too great for you to bow your knee to any false idol. Now we're in a place in the meeting right now where I want you to think, put name and idol here. What is it that I need to tear down? Maybe it's something unfairly passed to you. Maybe it's something that you bought on your own, but maybe like getting it's something that was passed to you from your father's house. In closing, I want to tell you about a story about a family in the Bible. You know them as Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. We see that in the story of Abraham. Abraham is in a situation where he's under intense pressure because he has such a beautiful wife. Goes to Egypt and the Pharaoh says to him, oh, your wife is so beautiful. And he says, oh, I'm afraid. Uh, She's my sister. She's not my wife. And so he lies to get himself out of a sticky situation. Not only happens once, it happens twice. And then we see that his son Isaac, in the same situation, the same position, the same king, comes to town with his wife, Rebecca. And he says to Rebecca, tell them you're my sister because you're so beautiful. And if they think you're my wife, they'll kill me just to get you. Again, under pressure, lies, deception, bowing his, his knee not to the fact that God would protect him because God's hand was upon him. He could trust the Lord, but rather he had to lie in order to get through life. We see then that after Abraham is afflicted with this idol, Isaac is afflicted with this idol, that Isaac has a son by the name of Jacob, whose very name means usurper or deceiver. Now, Jacob, deception was a part of life. 
So what I want to tell you today is what you don't deal with in your generation will be passed on to the next. There's a saying that says, what walks in fathers runs in sons. But maybe we can make it right today. And maybe we can be like Jacob, who was faced with two generations of deception. But the Bible says that he wrestled with God. He wrestled with Him and he grabbed onto Him and said, I will not let you go until you bless me, until we tear this idol down, until you change my name. And the angel turned to him and said, you are no longer Jacob, you are Israel. You are no longer deceiver, you are now nation. And I will bring forth many descendants from your lineage. I've changed you from where you were now to a new place of influence and royalty. And that's exactly what God wants to do in your life. Things can change. Just because it's always been that way in your family does not mean it always has to be that way in your family. You can change things today. And God will come to us with those three battles, the the issues. Oh, we got to get the issues right. Because so many people stall in life, in church, in ministry. Oh, I could give you a book full of names of leaders, of pastors, of Christians that have started and then fallen off the wagon because of issues. They let offence get in their heart and they didn't let the Lord. The Bible says that He heals the brokenhearted. Oh, but we, we sing about it, but we don't believe it. So we're taken out of the race because of issues. And then the insecurities. We let our insecurities grab a hold of us and we squash everybody around us that is talented or defer to other people because we don't have the courage to follow the call for ourselves. And then lastly, it's those idols. We've got to bring down those idols. We've got to bring them down. We've got to bring them down. We've got to bring them down. Love it if every person would stand, every beautiful woman would stand tonight. I really believe that in the life and the story of Gideon is a strategy for every single one of us. And if you can fight and win these battles, I believe the sky is the limit for you. And I want to tell you today, if that seems difficult, it doesn't matter. Because the Bible says it's not by might, nor by power, but by His Spirit. Do you know that it's as easy as calling out to your Heavenly Father who hears your cry? The Bible says that His ears are not closed to the cry of His children. That He stretches out His hands and satisfies the need of every living thing. I don't know what your need is today. Maybe your need is to overcome an addiction. Maybe you've been so terribly hurt that you don't feel you can ever surrender your pain to the Lord. The Holy Spirit is going to help you tonight. Or maybe there's an idol that has been knocking on your door and the devil's whispered to you and says, oh, it's always going to be that way. Look at your family line. Things will never change. Oh, he's lying to you. He's the father of lies. He cannot speak truth. God wants to deliver you. He wants to change your name. He wants to set you on a course of victory. Thank you for listening to today's message. We trust you heard from God and that you're more encouraged, more refreshed, and more in love with Jesus than you were before. If you ever find yourself in the Bay Area, we'd love for you to come and attend a service. For more information about C3SB, please visit www.c3sb.com.